Thanks a lot for finding the What Had Happened Was podcast. It's me, Amelia Robinson from Dayton.com. And boy, do I have a delicious podcast for you today. I spoke to my buddy Bill Castro from El Maison Restaurant. He and his family have been serving Dayton the world for 40 years now. And boy, do they have a great American story to tell. This episode just may make you hungry for a mouthful of squid and make you want to dive into a big old pot of paella. The What Had Happened Was podcast is produced by Dayton.com and sponsored by the fine folks at Cox Digital Marketing. Let this trusted name in advertising find solutions for your digital needs. And help a sister out by subscribing to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever else you find your favorite shows. If you want to hear more shows, rate us, giving us all the stars you possibly can. I mean, I need all those stars. Stars across the board. So, folks, get your forks ready. This episode is full with love and some great grub. All right, you ready to roll it in? Are you ready to oh, do great. this? So, hold. Give me a What break. is this? What are we doing? What, are we doing? Yeah, what is what happening? What are we doing? Give me a little bill. <laughs> Earth so, the bill. So, Earth the bill. This is a podcast. Have you ever heard? Do you know what podcasts are? No. <laughs> I know it's a way to kind of put out there. It's kind of like a live. What? What is? It? Basically, it's on-demand audio, so okay. you can listen to the, the audio whenever you want to. So let's say you were in your car on a trip or something, you can listen to a show, or someone's doing a, some kind of briefing, or somebody's doing like some kind no, of training. Like, no, what I've heard that in kind of like in a professional setting as well too. That we're doing a podcast, so yeah. They're able to tune tune into it. Or kind of on demand. On, right? on demand. It's basically like, you know how you can download shows and stuff? Okay. So basically it's the same concept okay. except for it's audio. Okay. Yeah. All right. And so what are we talking about? Hondas? We're talking about uh, Hondas ta- and um, pickle juice and um, <laughs> <laughs> this whole series of shows on pickle juice. <laughs> I was thought we were talking about the restaurant, how it's 40 years old, how it got started, talk about you, talk about what you're doing differently, your philosophy about life, stuff like that. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. I know about all that. Yeah, you I just do. want to make sure I'm not like here for like save save the hippos or something. Yeah, this is about saving the hippos, Bill. <laughs> I said, who can I call that's going to be able to talk about hippos? <laughs> <laughs> First of all, welcome to the what had happened was. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. This is exciting. <laughs> Did you want to be a part of the family restaurant? It's interesting when you look back at the 40 years. In one sense, I was only supposed to be there for six months. That was it. I was getting out of college. I don't know. I think you you know, Amelia. I'm a big, passionate equestrian. Um, and that's I've, horses for people who don't know. Okay, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so that's uh, the riding and uh, competing and, uh, and showing Arabian horses. As a child, that's all I would think of is horses. That mm-hmm. was my whole goal. So I started right after high school, started uh, Wright State. But I also started riding professionally too. Life changed quickly. Uh, all of a sudden, I saw that I wasn't as committed as a professional and the horse industry as I had thought I wanted to be. My father said, hey, uh, there's a failing pizza business. He's always wanted to be in something because my dad is just that kind of creative source. And so I said, yeah, sign me up. Six months, I can see maybe where I'm going. So that was 39 years and six months ago that uh, I'm still there. And I'm wired that way. I'm wired to be very active and to be creative every day. And I think my parents have instilled that in us. 
Now, why horses, of all things? My family tree on my dad's side, my grandfather, our big uh, cattle industry, cattlemen in South America. As a young boy, I would remember going out to the family ranches and uh, be able to watch the the, the ongoing of uh, working uh, hundreds of heads of, of cattle and riding horses and so on. And I just had the bug as ever since then. And so when we moved here, of course, it continued to be that, but I needed to start uh, paying for it. And as an eight-year-old, you'll love this, I and my brother delivered the Dayton Daily News you know, all the smart as my first job. Did. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, so many people had, were delivery people, like delivery kids all over the place. Absolutely. I had to learn how to not only be committed to every day, whether it was snowing, sleeting, whatever it was, it was a commitment as eight years old. Then we'd have to go and collect for the uh, the papers and we had to learn accounting that way. We had to learn how to count money. Mm-hmm. We had It was just really unbelievable at eight years old starting to do that. And my brother and I had probably about three or 400 customers. Get out of here. Yeah, and my wow. father would help us. He would get up and we had a little white Volkswagen bug. We would hang on the little side platform forms of it and the the car would be full of newspapers and my dad would hand us each and we would run off the car uh, up to the doors deliver the paper and come back in we were a family unit then just hanging out doing making money together and all that good stuff so where's your family originally from because you're not originally from dayton right no correct most people think because of the last name castro that Mm -hmm. we're from cuba Mm -hmm. um castro is a very yes castro is a very common name in the hispanic culture but the roots of my family are from colombia south america the capital of bogota which is high up in the andes and the uh the cattle ranches were down off of the mountains into the savannas the grasslands and so on now my father was with ncr so again something very important to dayton ohio so we moved moved and lived through many parts of the world, many parts of Central and South America. I was born in Panama. So was my brother because we lived there for three. So normally my father would get moved around anywhere between three to five years and then we would get restationed. And so Dayton, Ohio was the world headquarters. Uh Um, And so we moved here back in 66. Then they wanted my father here permanently. You were a little child when they moved here. Yeah, six years old. Uh, six years old, and of course, my first language was Spanish. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, absorbing uh, like a sponge, a child is, and they can adapt to changes so much more than adults. And so I think uh, we started school right away. Probably in about three or four months, I was pretty well bilingual. I mean, I was able to pick up English because of my environment, the essence of just being submerged. Was it easy for you to kind of become like an American kid then, or, or were you? I think any child um, is great to adapt, but almost to adapt to what is the norm. The hardest part was the battle, but a battle well played, that my parents had to keep us kids intact with our Hispanic side as well. We didn't want to be different. Because, again, kids don't want to be that stand out and saying, oh, you know, I'm Hispanic and I can speak two languages. No, you want to say, huh, what? So my parents would make us speak Spanish at home so that we did not lose our first language. And we had other families that had come through the same level of of, uh, replacement with NCR that they had a language and they completely forgot it because the parents. Yeah. And you there's a lot of and we go back to parts of World War One and World War Two where a lot of Italians, Germans, um, Jews, whatever came to and they were told to forget all of their past so that they would not be casted out or Mm -hmm. stereotyped. 
Um, but my parents have always instilled the pride in our family with our culture. Was it hard for you to be a Hispanic kid? Where'd you grow up? Here. I grew up in Dayton, very uh, Dayton West Carrollton. Yeah, you grew in, in West Carrollton. Yeah. So was it hard to be a Hispanic kid in West Carrollton back in the well, You know, 67? I didn't know any different. So mm-hmm. it wasn't, uh, to me, it wasn't hard. It was almost blessed. The teachers enjoyed us, would speak well of us, let's say, or job with the the newspaper as well too so i think that we always were challenged but i think it's how you delivered in other words if you were a good student no matter what race you were you should be a good student if you were a good employee if you're a good neighbor if you're a good at church i think those are the factors that sometimes are more important because people that didn't recognize us. The only thing I ever remember was at a pool one time. I was a, a, a boy. I had a, a lady come up to me and say, you have beautiful color of your skin. How do you do that? Okay. And I didn't think I did anything. That is my color of my skin. I thought, why? Is there a trick to this? Um, <laughs> I wasn't sure what the question meant. But again, it was a blessing. I don't think we ever knew being discriminated. I don't think I ever had that, which I think I must be very isolated in that because today in where we are 2018, there's still so much discrimination. Now, something else that I'll I'll bring in to that factor is that in most Hispanic culture, there is a lot of blend of races within one culture. So let's say like the country of Colombia, there's a lot of African roots. So that means the race is of course, the characteristics of the African race, black skin or very dark skin, facial features, hair, all the different things. But they're still Colombians. They're not black. Mm-hmm. The same thing with the mixture of what is the essence of the Colombian, which was Spanish and the true Indian of the Andes. Mm-hmm. That's the blend there. So there are so many races that we in South America don't have that based on color or based on race. We have more of a, I think, communal blending pot, right. which we accept. For you, it wasn't that different. It was No, the- not at all. Not at all. Do you feel it now at all? Or do you feel or no, have any problems now? You know, I don't. And of course, it's out there and rightfully out there. But again, the only thing I can ever say is if you do the right thing, if you are the right person of integrity, your race and color should be secondary. People should see you but what you produce. People should see you how you treat others. People should see you how you achieve or, you know, people are like, oh, you're this or that. And I'm thinking, you can do this or that. You can be just as lucky. Work. Do it. I'm still working 12 and 14 hour days. I commit myself now. I compete on a national level. I'm a 13 time national champ writer and I'm 60 years old. I'm competing against 20 years old. (laughs) You know, right. So again, but those are the factors. And I think my parents are part of that, too, because my dad's 83. My mom's 81. And to see them, we we had my nephew's wedding this weekend. And uh, of course, in the Hispanic culture, dancing is everywhere and and how we celebrate. And here my mom at 81 is out there dancing with all the young girls. And they're just loving having Yaya out there busting a move, you know? Mm-hmm. It's it's how they are in spirit, and I think that that's the key element. I kind of sometimes wonder, because I don't probably notice it as much as it happens. Um, one time my mother and I were with my husband, who is white, at a Jamaican festival, and my mother said, do you see all these people looking at you? And I said I hadn't noticed, and I hadn't really thought about why they would, because there's a number of reasons 
people could be looking at you. Yeah. And I don't necessarily go towards the negative. Exactly. Even though that might be what it is sometimes. So sure. it's just kind of curious. too. I think a lot of it does have to do with the mindset and what you let in and what you don't let in. So, Absolutely. And yeah. how you carry yourself, you know. Right. If you are making a, a certain level of... of uh, obstacle of yourself or whatever it might be, then you're going to draw that kind of attention on a negative way. And of course, that's where the real essence of, oh, I don't like those kind of people anyways, or, right. you know, that's what you get for having that kind of whatever might be the situation. It's there. But I think that it's secondary to me. I won't let that be what identifies me. So Herman and Gloria, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Gloria. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bo. Bo. Is Bo the man most papa like? Well, it's like um, Yaya is grandmother. Okay. And Abuelo is grandfather. And so Bo is the shorter form, especially for now my great grand uh, nephew. And uh, Yaya has always been the way you address the matriarch of the family. So what were they like as parents? They were like so cool in the essence that they were like, June and Ward Cleaver in the Hispanic form, you okay. know? I don't want to say Lucy and Desi or something like that because they weren't that crazy. I think that would be, you know, too much of a hilarious aspect. But we had the standard aspect. I still remember 5 o'clock, my mom would have dinner on the table. We all ate and it was a full meal. This was not, here's a sandwich and here's some bologna and here's this and you're on your own. We came from that era. And again, we're, we're talking back. But that was the, the whole essence. And we sat as a family and ate and we helped my dad with whatever chores he had. We had responsibilities and we had chores that we really had to, to, to abide by. And I think that's what's really given us our work ethic has been not only that they had that in place, but they also participated next to us. I mean, when you think about it in 66, it was just the five of us when they moved here to the States. They didn't have their parents. We didn't have any grandparents, cousins, aunts and uncles. We didn't have anyone else that was here with us. So the five of us almost raised ourselves. That takes a lot because in the essence of, of family support, there was no. My mom didn't have this to fall on right. or that to fall on. And that's big in the culture, too, to have that whole like yeah. generational love kind yeah. of care of the kids. And she wanted to even, she worked in, in cosmetics and jewelry at Reich's, the, the department store. And the Dayton Mall at that time was the big place to be. And, you know, my mom would get dressed up to the max and go and, I mean, full makeup, full hair, full. And then still had us to raise, but she wanted to go out and be in the community. She wanted to practice her English because, of course, she the only element would be that if she stayed at home, but she would not have that ability to right. do it. And people found her uniqueness. And I think that my mom shows that quality of, of class that even to today, people just comment on her, just her radiant of personality. Oh, yeah. She's a firecracker. She's she a, is. Yeah. She is. She has she a is. spark in her. She like, is. Infectious. Yeah. 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 So was, was it five kids or? Well, no, five total. Five total. Three yeah. kids, two adults. So you have a sister and a brother. Correct. Yeah, I'm the middle one. I was like, yeah. where are these other kids coming yes. from? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so my, my younger sister and I are, of course, in the business with my parents. And then my older brother started in the business, but then he started doing real estate. And so now he's very successful at real estate at Iron Gate. So why did your dad want to have a, a pizza restaurant at first and then uh, change it into El Maison? Great question. Thank you. Oh, yeah, that's mm -hmm. a great question because 
Bill is going to let us know why his father went into the restaurant business in just one minute. But first, I wanted to remind you that you are listening to the What Had Happened Was podcast, and it is a product of Dayton.com, your number one source for what to do, what to know, and what to love about our fine community. And one of those things I know you love because I love it is Best of Dayton. With Best of Dayton, you pick the best restaurants, the best services, the best places, and the best people that make our city what it is, the absolute best. I know you're getting excited about this year's contest, and so are we. Nominations for the next round of Best of Dayton open up in November, and you'll be able to cast those ballots on Dayton.com come December. Stay tuned for more information. In the meantime, check out our current list of winners and subscribe to the What Had Happened Was podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and wherever else you find your favorite shows. Now, Bill is going to tell us why his dad became a restaurant owner. What happened, Bill? My father and my mother, because I still remember, my father was an engineer at NCR, which was the technical center behind the Dayton Mall. We stopped traveling when they started now bringing in students from all over the world to learn about the products and the computers and registers and everything with NCR. So my father did not do as much traveling. Oh, so he had been traveling around a different Exactly. Countries. That's when we would move every three to five years. Oh. And so now when he was permanently placed here, okay. then students would come to the Tech, as it was called. They even had dorms. So there was people from all over the world that would come and live here in the Dayton area for like anywhere between, you know, three months and four months to learn. It's almost like a college, if you will. My father would always find his students and so on that they had left their families. They were out of their culture. And we would always invite them to our house on the weekends. And, of course, food was always involved. I mean, that was the international language. It doesn't matter whether you knew or not. You get food involved, and I promise you there will be camaraderie, there'll be laughter, there'll be knowledge, there'll be pride, there'll be wisdom. You do not have to stack a deck. You just make it happen, and it'll open itself up. So I remember always having Asian and uh, South American and European and all the Caribbean and and parts of Colombia and and all the different countries that were involved would come and participate. And so my father would always be serving food, and, and then they would bring food themselves and so on. So it was always a blending pot of food. Mm-hmm. So my father, you know, as he was getting now to almost 30 years with uh, NCR, was looking to do a new venture. He had always mentioned next door to us, our neighbor was in real estate. And he says, oh, if you ever find anything, I'm kind of looking to maybe rent a location or something. Well, of course, two days later, uh, <laughs> I, he gets <laughs> contacted. <days> <laughs> yeah. And he says, hey, this is pizza queen place in West Carrollton that they they want to sell they, they're you know wanting to to move on and we're thinking what we had, <laughs> we didn't even really eat uh, I remember uh, I wanted to be like the other kids and go to McDonald's my parents would never take us to McDonald's oh that's funny yeah we would never eat pizza um, <laughs> that was not a meal that was just something that that's not good for you. you have to have vegetables and meat and rice and plantains and whatever that was a meal all of a sudden here they go down there and before you know it my dad says I'll take it and now we had this pizza house it's <laughs> funny I'll take one it. employee <laughs> yeah one employee three tables and then us my mom and myself my mom decided she would come to, my father would still work at NCR, 
still go to eight to five. My brother was in Columbus going to school, to college, and my sister was still in, in junior high. We just started. My father says there's only one way this can go. And that's up. And that was the time when Frigidaire was here. GM was here. Right. Um, this was a pretty blue collar town. We couldn't sit there and start doing tapas right away or uh, squid or, you know, this. <laughs> th- th- I thought since we were going to meet today, Mark had a full squid head, all the tentacles, everything. He goes, I can't wait to show this to Amelia. Why you bring it? I should have brought it. <laughs> but anyways, we needed just to start from the basics, which was make pizza better. So we did that for the first uh, maybe uh, eight years. Then, of course, we started getting the roots of uh, this Clark Kent Superman effect of doing suckling pig, the lechon and rice and black beans and having a Puerto Rican band play and so on on weekends. And then we'd go back to subs and pizza and so on on Monday through Thursday. So you're tricking the people. Yeah, so we were tricking back and forth. And then, of course, Ann Heller heard about this. Do you want to let everybody know what Ann Heller is? Yeah, Ann Heller is a classic Dayton food writer in Dayton, legendary woman, Ann Heller. Yeah, Yeah. from these ranks of, you know, again, Dayton.com, Dayton Daily News, she had heard about us. And it was interesting because at that time, too, a restaurant critic had to be behind a mask almost. You did not recognize. It would always come in incognito. Even on the paper, in the newspaper, you would never see the character sketch of the person. It was always... So she wrote about this little restaurant. But did you know who Ann Heller was at that point? No. Okay. No, no. It wasn't until like maybe five years later that her identity was revealed because she would still (laughs) operate under that uh, veil. Yeah. Uh Yeah. So it was interesting to say that. So as the restaurant developed and as we started cultivating a following, because it wasn't that it was here, you had to earn that trust. You had to earn the ability of saying, well, I don't know what that is, but it looks good and it smells good. And I'm sure if you're telling me it's good, it's good. It's like that reputation you build, that closeness you build with the person who's cooking the food for you, even if you don't know them. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. If you go to a foreign country, that is your best tool is go somewhere where the locals are eating and people are there in abundance. You will find harmony. Just even stand back and watch. You will find kids, grandparents, adults. You'll find working people. You'll find any level and you just follow that. It's just so beautiful and so almost like um, so, so, so natural. Right. It doesn't have to be complicated. But food is that. Yeah. So Anne wrote the column. And then immediately did you guys become um, El Mason or how that whole transition happened? There was fear behind that because Anne's practice to this was that incognito, she would come to the restaurant at least three individual times. Right. And she would also bring different friends or different people to set not set a, a a trap, if you will, of thinking like, who's this lady over here in the black coat with the black glasses on? It was never, you know, to think, uh, uh-oh, we've got a spy in here. It was <laughs> always blended in. So on her third time, then she would then write the article. We knew nothing until it hit the newspaper that day. And we're coming into work and we get there and there's just tons of people on the outside of this building is where we were. And we think, oh, oh wow. my God. We must be on fire or something. There must be something going on. (laughs) 
we didn't know what was going on. And we walked up there and we were just so concerned. It was mom and I. And people had the article in their hands and they were showing all this. And we're like, what is this? It completely caught us by surprise. We had people all day. We ran out of food. We had to call anybody we knew to please come and help us. My brother, my sister-in-law. I mean, you <laughs> name it. It was anybody. I would have said, please come help us. And we never knew the power of that type of projected image or success but it was so scary because we couldn't keep up with it i mean if you've ever been in in the restaurant industry you have to be very careful you never get to a point where you're overmounted right. with the number it, it, it can be very just alarming if you will we made it through that we moved on now to sit there and seeing that the hispanic food was going to be a very profitable and and uh, enjoyable type of concept and and um, we started, you know, looking at thinking, well, maybe we need to really make our choice here. Do we stay with this Clark Kent and Superman right. or do we just come right out, rip the shirt open, put the big S on our um, shirt and say, nope, we're going to be Superman. Right. And that's what we did. We just decided, again, a family decision. My father this time says it's time for me to come on board. He retired from NCR. He came on board. My brother came on board. And uh, we started doing Hispanic food from there on. How many years were you in before you decided to go full on? About 10 years. About 10 years. Yeah, okay. about 10 years, almost uh, coming into 1990, somewhere through there. And then the other expansions then started coming through where we next door to us was a barber shop. And again, anybody from West Carrollton probably remembered for many durations that it was a little old punky kind of house that we uh, acquired. And that now is where our kitchen um, oh, really? is established. And then on the far end is the bar area, which used to be a biker bar. It was uh, a bar that uh, a lot of the, the guys that would finish their shifts at GM or Frigidaire or whatever would come over and have a couple beers before they went home and so on. And it was the kind of bar you walked in and I, it, it could have been noon. And you still had to stop and wait until your eyes adjusted once you walked in because it was so dark. <laughs> it was funny. black. Yeah. I love bars like that. Oh, my God. <laughs> They're fine if you have the lights off. When you turn the lights on. You're going to go blind. No. Right. It is so dirty. And oh. you yes. I mean, you we could take uh, a spray uh, gun of uh, some type of cleaner and you could just see the cleaner come through. The, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the things that would fall behind the booths of the table. So, needless to say, that was totally redone. <laughs> and now that's where our bar is there. And then the connection is the gift shop. Um, Pets, P-E-T-T-S. Yeah, and then before that was Cox's, C-O-X-S. And it was, again, it was an establishment. They were very popular. They used to do a, a pork tenderloin sandwich that they were known for. I mean, they were a, an icon themselves. And that was when Woody's, of course, was there uh-huh. and Robert's down the street and so on. That's funny. But yeah. the, but it was not one that you want to go in and like Again, turn the on. be Don't. very afraid. If you go somewhere <laughs> that's dark, you got to make sure there's the flip side of it. And that means when the lights are on. <laughs> <laughs> I always bring friends from out of town to El Maison because it's a trip to somewhere else. How does that make you feel that people think of your family's restaurant that way and you know that's i think my biggest downfall amelia is that i and i think in my type a personality i don't think i give myself enough credit for that i try as much as possible to make sure that i reflect the appreciation of it not only to our customers that bring people in but also to our staff by showing them that thank you and and you are we're doing 
a great job, but I'm always, how can I be better? What really? can I do more? Yeah, I don't you, think I that I ever stop. You literally get to around to every single table. That's what it looks like to me. You talk to everybody. And I do. Everybody feels like they know you. And I do. And that still plagues. But I don't see it as something where I have stopped to celebrate life now. Does that make sense? Right. I think I'm still on a journey to bring more on. So I don't think that I give myself enough credit to kind of say, well done. Uh, you've arrived, uh, you know, um, you, you've done this. And, and I can that can be traced even to my equestrian accomplishment. I'm right now number one in, in the country as a rider. I've won 13 U.S. and Canadian national championships. And as a boy, my goal was to just win one. Okay. And now I still not see myself like, oh, my gosh, you have 13 titles. Right. I see myself as, how am I going to compete this year? Who am I up against? Am I better than I was last year? And the same thing with the restaurant. We're going into our 440th. We're doing four events for the next couple of months. And each one of those events was planned by me to really challenge us. I mean, I'm so excited about the uh, Dia de los Muertes, the event that we're doing, uh, the Day of the Dead. Right. And bringing that. You've seen the movie Coco, haven't you? Right. Okay. So, I mean, that beauty of bringing something that most people think it's morbid, but bringing it into the life celebration, to me, is so cool. I never want to be the one that is in the back of the room where you hear somebody yelling at the magician to say... The rabbit's in the hat. The rabbit's in the hat. He's going to pull the rabbit out. <laughs> I always right. want to make sure that we're past that stage, no matter where we are. But yes, absolutely. I mean, it's an honor when, when families have chosen us. We did a wedding last weekend of a little girl that her parents would bring her in uh, to the restaurant all the time. They live in Boston now, and her fiance is in New York City. But they came back to Dayton because they wanted us to be the caterer for their event. Right. That was huge. The family entrusted us. We do a lot of life celebrations now, celebrating someone's death that was a customer that even told in their will, I want to have a party at El Masson right. celebrating me. That's huge. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah, it is. It really is. It, really is. it is. And that's, I think, where I really embrace that and even take a lot of personal pride and details on it because it's more than just the food it's about the individuals connected to the food and you seem to do that in everything you do as far as not just the horses and the, even the competitions and stuff like that like you have like the miami valley restaurant association has its battle of the bartenders which you've won and you're like the one who's grinding the hardest at it you know as far as <laughs> and like the most excited when you win <laughs> <laughs> like the one time what was that last year you won or the year before yeah, you, the Tammy Ammy Mommy <laughs> Tammy Ammy Mommy and the little kids were from opponents were helping you out yes. and you were so proud of them and it was really nice to see and it was actually beautiful to see thank, thank you and that was it and even when we went into that that was the whole scenario that I knew I either had to go big or go home that yeah. was it so I had in my own self a 50-50 chance of either not getting anything at all or thinking, I believe in this. I, I want to do this. My nephew's wedding was this weekend. We did a big wedding for him. And one of the things we wanted to do, we did the food, of course. One thing that I wanted to do as, as the guest arrived was I wanted to have paella being prepared in this room because when people walked in the door, I wanted them to just be embraced right. with 
an aroma, something. I wanted their senses to go off. And you know, in a wedding, you can lose so much in candles and linens and all this great lighting even. But I wanted something to be more personal. And I said, okay, this is going to be go big or go home. And when we started making, it was, of course, cold and rainy. I thought, okay, they're either going to get this or they're not. I started worrying, thinking, I don't think anybody's going to get it. All of a sudden, it went the other way. And people were just so thrilled that coming in and we did these small little appetizer platefuls and just start passing around it's like welcome to our culture welcome to our family welcome to and that was the whole just of it so something that small but i had so much tied into it that i wanted that to be a part of who we are and who i am and was mark the person he was he was yeah (laughs) mark my husband he is the best he is just the rock in my life our journey together is so parallel to even my parents' journey together. We're so different, but yet we balance each other so wonderful. I feel so blessed to have him be part of the whole success. How'd you meet Mark anyhow? So, food. Okay. Business, right? (laughs) And the food. Mark was a roommate of a friend of mine um, that has a catering business in Cincinnati. Mark had a restaurant before in his hometown of Brookville, Indiana, moved to Cincinnati, started working for the friend of ours. And then Mark and I met randomly, nothing set up. And that was it. He had just turned 40 and I was uh, 35. He was my first right there. I knew it. He knew it. And we've been together ever since. Oh, you've been together like what? 25 years. 25 years. You got married married now three years. Awesome. Again, he literally stepped into my father's shoes of of food and creativity. Um, The pie that Mark made the other uh, day for my nephew's wedding was so superb that, of course, my parents just were in tears because they just have seen that. And what's interesting now is moving forward is my nephew now is the next in line and is learning with Mark and he's going to be the third generation taking over the business. The one who was married. Yeah, Stefan. Stefan, okay, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. So it was it was just thrilled. And again, the fourth generation now is uh, almost a year old now. So he was part of the wedding <laughs> party too. He took the show, let me tell you. I love babies that uh, little, Oh my God, he walked down that aisle. The only problem was I saw him going down the aisle and I thought, why is he walking so off? One of the shoes was off. He had left it back in the back, <laughs> so he was off. He had these great Oxfords on. And then I thought, he lost his shoe, but you know what? He kept walking. He kept walking. I said, that's my boy right there. Showmanship. Yes, Just keep going. Keep going. Bill, this the name of the show is What Had Happened Was, right? So I'm going to ask you to say what had happened was and finish the sentence. What had happened was the life and success of Elmason has been a true blessing for myself, my family, and Dayton, Ohio. And that's what happened was. Well, thanks a lot for coming in here. I appreciate it. My pleasure. I just think that you and what you guys do here to really bring in the dining community and to really put together all that has happened and will happen here. I I don't ever see Dayton as much as we travel. I leave for Austria, Germany, and Switzerland in two weeks with 30 customers. I travel all over the world, and I still love coming home to Dayton. And you guys just always put it out there. So thank you. Thank you, darling. Thanks for coming in. My pleasure. Isn't Bill a spicy pepper? Be sure to visit him at El Maison. The restaurant will transport you and you'll feel like you're on vacation. Thanks a lot for listening. Until next time, eat, drink, and be merry. Bye-bye.